think about the Eucharist in our tradition, the taking of communion, what is the gesture? The gesture is sublime, isn't it? You, you hand over hand, you reach out for something that you do not have and something that you do need, something that fortifies you, something that meets all of your deficits and seeks to make strength out of those deficits. This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Welcome to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. I'm Melissa Rao, your host, and this is a conversation inspired by Bishop Wright's Four Faith Weekly Devotion sent out every Friday. You can find a link to this week's Four Faith and a link to subscribe in the episode's description. Good day, Bishop. How you doing? Good to be with you. Your devotion this week was a fiery take on Genesis 45 because you made connections between Joseph and his brothers, truth, and the cowardice of not being able to face the sins of, of slavery and racism in this country and the realities of the Holocaust. And I'm wondering if you can say more about what Joseph did that makes this story such an inspiration. Yeah, you know, as I said about other stories, you know, if if folks don't know the story of Joseph and his brothers, it's uh, it's in Genesis. You ought to look at it. It's it's better than whatever's streaming on Hulu right now uh, or uh, or Netflix. It's a it's a story of uh, of a family. It's a story of betrayal and lies, a family secret, a family shame. They throw a brother down a hole, sell him into slavery, and lie to the father about it. Uh, but as time goes on. The brother does uh, exceedingly and abundantly amazing for life. He, uh, he, uh, his gifts and his abilities uh, lead him to be the second in command in Egypt. Uh, and his brother and his father's land go into a, a deep famine, uh, which sets up the conversation. So now they have to go out and seek resources, food. And, you know, who do they end up in front of but Joseph? Uh, Joseph's name has changed. Joseph's stat status has changed, but he still is their brother. It takes him a while to recognize them. And, and why I wanted to write about this is because it's all about what shame could have done. Uh, if the brothers would have shrunk back in their shame, uh, if the brother, if, if Joseph would have leaned forward in vengeance, then none of this story is possible. And this story is about a reconciliation, but there's no reconciliation without truth telling. There's no reconciliation without facing our misdeeds. We're not condemned by our misdeeds and in God's imagination and in God's mind. That's what the story says. But we do need to cough up the mucus of our shame. And the best way to do that is to find the courage to stand face to face and confess. Hmm. So, Bishop, you said progress for our individual families, the American family, and our human family will not come through legislated avoidance of and distance from the hardest truths of our common life. Yeah. And, you know, you use the word reconciliation. And what word kept coming up for me was the word reckoning. And isn't it interesting how similar they are? So reckoning keeps coming to my mind. Joseph's brothers lied, and eventually they faced a reckoning that might have gone way differently than it did. Right. <laughs> right. So I'm wondering if you can share your thoughts about what Joseph did 
that may inspire something in how Jesus followers might conduct themselves? Yeah, I mean, I want to talk about Joseph because Joseph does all the forgiving uh, and uh, and the brothers don't deserve their forgiving. See, it's not about deserving. It's not a mathematical equation. These are affairs of the heart. This is about God. This is about God moving us to have bigger hearts than we have right now. And it's about you and I deciding that God's way is the best way. We would shrink back to vengeance. We would shrink back to, you know, uh, punitive sort of measures. But but what gets called out of Joseph is mercy. Um, you know, what we really ought to talk about is the fact that, uh, that the brothers uh, who come and finally recognize uh, that, that the man who stands in front of them, who could save, who can save their lives, who can feed them, uh, who can, who can give them strength that they do not have is the one that they injured and they could have run away. Uh, and you know, what we're doing in our nation right now with banning books and banning conversations is running away. We're running away from the facts of our very complicated human, uh, family journey. And, and I understand the impulse to run away. I understand the impulse to shield our eyes from the truth, especially uh, all of the unflattering parts of the truth. But the problem is it will never the hiding will never yield um, healing. Uh, all it will yield is sort of a doubling down on falsehood, which eventually will come to light. And so the, the truth of the matter is is that, uh, we have done things that are shameful in our American life, and uh, and uh, we've done them to one another. We've done them to women. We've done them to people of color. We've done them to the poor. We've done them to immigrants. We've done them to the gay and lesbian population. This is the truth, but we're not damned to our worst day. I think this is the redemptive piece of this. We're not damned to our worst day, our worst decision, or our worst deed in God's economy, and that's why this story is life-giving. It's an encouragement to those of us who are afraid to deal with our shame in a generative and constructive way. We have to deal with our shame in a generative and constructive way. You know, we, we can't just uh, uh, accept a guilt as the only way to live, to have that shadow always, you know, sort of around us. And so this biblical story is an invitation for us to find courage uh, to confess, uh, you know, what we've been a part of or what we've colluded with or what we're the inheritors of. I was at a, a, a meeting uh, just the other day where uh, an amazing scholar, Diana Butler Bass, uh, told her family story. She didn't give us any platitude. She didn't give us any acronyms about how we should go forward, no program. She told us her own family story, a complicated story of both bravery and cowardice, of both sort of uh, the best ideals of our American family going forward and the worst behavior, enslaving other people. And, and as she told the story, I thought to myself, my God, she's bearing witness to the way that we can go forward. And, you know, it wasn't, she was not condemned by the group and it was a multiracial group. She was not condemned by the group. She said, this is my family. We have both blessings and we have both bad days and we have done terrible things. And, and what was interesting after she found the courage to confess was another gentleman stood up and said, well, my family is from New England and my family benefited from all of the cotton trade. And so uh, our, our sort of family wealth is built on stolen labor and stolen personhood and the benefit of all that. 
And somehow in their both confessing, they were that much more free. And both of them are sort of participating in ways in which to bear witness to what remuneration and what justice looks like. Uh, that's fascinating. I wish I could have been there. Uh, Diana Butler Bass, I know, I don't know if it was a year ago or two years ago, she actually dropped Butler, um, for quite some time because that's her family. Um, that's her family name. And uh, I've noticed that on social media, Butler's right back in. So at least on Twitter anyway, she put that. And I wonder, <laughs> I wonder yeah. if that's her way of just like coming to terms and grips with no, I can't bury that. Like I have to own that because that's who I am. Yeah, absolutely. It's well, it's not. It's part of who I am. I mean, n- none of us uh, are entirely one uh, one component of our narrative. I mean, this is this is why we are complex. You know, the Bible says we are God's peculiar treasure. Most peculiar. <laughs> no, on most days, more peculiar than treasure. But nevertheless, in God's eyes, we are God's peculiar treasure, and we come from families. And families have had amazingly heroic days and families have had other days. And we are the inheritor of all of that. And the opportunity for us is to take the mess that we've all inherited and to make something out of that. And to this, we're not left to our own sort of devices. I mean, this is why, you know, inner stage, right, here comes Jesus, right? And here comes our faith tradition that helps us look at a book full of uh, messy family stories and figure out what we can do to sort of help to refine and change and uh, make more just the narratives we've inherited. So I'm going to say something bold because I feel it moved to do it. You know, for people who cannot name racism and slavery as being problematic and want to like bury that past, that is, that is sin. And that's basically saying, well, we need to bury this because it doesn't matter anymore. And I'm sorry, that's bullshit. (laughs) I I don't know what else to say. Maybe we need to go to break. (laughs) Talk more after our short break. We'll be right back. Hi, listeners. This is your producer, Easton Davis, thanking you for listening to Four People. In partnership with the Atlanta Community Food Bank, the Episcopal Community Foundation invites all of our local congregations and listeners to participate in this year's Hunger Walk Run. Fundraise to end hunger and walk or run in this important community event. So support the Episcopal Community Foundation of the Diocese of Atlanta by signing up today. You can learn more at ecfimpact.org forward slash hwr. And now back to four people. Welcome back to four people. <laughs> so Bishop. Well, here uh, we are. <laughs> How about this? Can you talk more about what you think is necessary to transform sin? Yeah. So, so, so then let's go back to the story. The narratives are genius in that they give us a story. They give us a paradigm. They give us a, a drama that we can plug into. So what does Joseph do on that heady day where he's faced with his brothers? Uh, and it says he, he draws them closer. That's why we named it closer. He, he does this counter cognitive sort of thing in the midst of, 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 a, of a conversation that could have been totally, could have totally gone, you know, sort of uh, sideways. He draws them closer. He finds the resource 
to do, you know, the thing that you and I find difficult to do, which is to draw closer. And then he names the fact that I am your brother, I am your sibling. And so for him, the connective tissue that leads to all of the redemption is the fact that the inextricable fact, right? The indelible fact that we are siblings, that we belong to each other, and we have done this to one another. Now, here's the thing that we don't spend a lot of time talking about, and and Diana Butler Bass did an amazing job talking about. So, So what has it cost families to have made those choices and enslaved other human beings? I mean, certainly economically it has benefited some people, but what has it cost them psychically and spiritually? And she talked about that in her own sort of DNA. And, and so, so when we do these things to one another, nobody is scot-free. There are consequences for choices and behaviors. And so we are living with the legacy of that. For some oppressor, for some oppressed. And it takes a process, which thank God we have the Holy Spirit uh, you know, involved in, to help us to make gold out of this garbage. But you and I have to decide that we're not going to run away, not going to be afraid, not going to be trapped in cul-de-sacs of rage or vengeance or guilt or shame, and that there are other options on the menu. And this is why we have to revisit these kinds of stories again and again and again. Look at what we're doing. We're, We're actually outlawing books. Now, I have kids. And as far as I know, kids, uh, you might outlaw a book, but kids have the Internet. They have this major, you know, magical, <laughs> mystical sort of tool called, uh, you know, cell phones. So so how, so how deep does the pit have to be uh, until people think they've actually adequately buried this stuff? I'm telling you, that's not the way the world, the universe works. No lie can live forever. No lie can live forever. And living, you know, in lies uh, has consequences. And so this is why, we, again, we engage in these stories, because these stories seek to save our souls. So, Bishop, what do you believe vulnerability has to do with anything? I think vulnerability has everything to do with it. And so this is why worship is so important. Because worship is you and I confessing out loud that I am not self-sufficient, that I don't have all the answers, that there's one above me called God. And so that we begin to practice humility and vulnerability uh, in worship, right? And so this is, this is, again, this is the wonderful piece about our sort of rhythm and ritual as believers. We practice all of this, and then what we do is, is that we are expelled out of these sanctuaries and these holy places to then practice that in community. I don't have all the answers. I need you. You need me. Think about the Eucharist in in our tradition, the taking of communion. What is the gesture? The gesture is sublime, isn't it? You, You hand over hand, you reach out for something that you do not have and something that you do need, something that fortifies you, something that meets all of your deficits, right, and seeks to make strength out of those deficits. And so we have the ritual gestures in our tradition. And so, uh, again, uh, what we need to do is practice what we say on Sunday, live on Monday what we say on Sunday. And so, so Joseph somehow finds it within himself to be big 
And maybe that's because he understood that God is big and that God is able to forgive and that if you and I are going to follow God, we're going to have to love what God uh, loves and and love the way God uh, does things. And the way God does things is to bring mercy uh, forward. It is to bring second chance forward. And and this story, I think it, it couldn't be more timely for us to really take a deep dive. I hope all the preachers out there are going to do a sermon series on this because the movements of it are exactly what the doctor ordered for us in our national conversations. Mm, I love that. So Bishop, what's the best way forward? You talk about closer and I feel like that's two-way street, right? We had the brothers who are willing to get close to Joseph when Joseph said, come closer. Um, but I'm not, I, I, you know, when we put ourselves into the characters of these stories and trying to make it true for our world today or how to behave, et cetera, I'm trying to figure out, um, I'm trying to figure out which person or people I should be. Yeah. <laughs> Am I like, well, the truth of the matter is, is that you need, you need to be both. I mean, the truth of the matter is, is that life is a, is a life is one big road with lots of signs. Right. So, so some days I'm Joseph. The, tr- the truth of the matter is I'm Joseph. I'm, I'm being invited to be big, to be merciful, to be gracious, to be graceful. And some days I am the brother, which I don't deserve uh, anything. I cannot win it uh, for myself by my behaviors or my actions or my, my bright mind or anything, my, my, uh, my CV or my portfolio. And, and I need to realize that I'm standing in front of somebody uh, depending on uh, their forgiveness. And, and the truth of the matter is we're both. And so, you know, life with Jesus teaches us best how to be both. It teaches me how to come, you know, without one plea, right? Like the song says, and it teaches me what to do when I have power, you know, in a particular moment uh, over another. And so I think somehow being both uh, at one part or the other in life is what creates in us spiritual depth and maturity. Do you think it would be too bold to say that the people who are trying to sub uh, subdue or suppress the truth, like, what, is it fair to say that we can't get closer to God unless we do tell the truth? Well, I think that there is a there is an intimacy available to everybody when we decide to get close to God with all of our stuff. And, and here's the good thing about God. You know, I might not be able to get there myself. And so, you know, we have a companion called the Holy Spirit and we can ask God. I mean, you know, God delights in the heart that wants to draw near, but can't. And so we have a companion. And so maybe we pray, you know, God, uh, this stuff is too jagged. The shards are too sharp. Uh, but I want to please you, God. And so will you give me the grit and the grace to face the things I need to face so that I can understand what your peace is? See, that's the other part of this. If Joseph doesn't do this, if the brothers don't do this, they never have peace. They have this sort of eggshell walking, sort of one-dimensional polite affiliation. And sadly enough, that is that is enough for too many of our communities, some of our churches. You know, they don't enjoy the real fellowship and peace that's available to us through the Spirit, which has everything to do with being who I am, my best day and my worst day, 
right? And so all of us can draw close to God. Some of us really struggle. Some of us are paralyzed, but we have this great gift called, you know, Jesus's companionship for us, the Holy Spirit's power working through us, where we can even make that our prayer. And Lent is coming up, and maybe Lent is the season for 40 days when you and I do that. We investigate and perhaps even interrogate some of the mythology, the propaganda that we're living out of, and maybe we get that recalibrated. Maybe we say to God, I just confess everything that's false in my life, and I'm asking you to sort of help me to move more fully into the truth that is true liberation. Hmm. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Bishop, thank you so much for your wisdom, and thank you to our listeners for listening for people. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. You can please subscribe, leave a review, and we'll be back with you next week. Thank you.